There are a number of things I want to pray for before I preach God's word to us today. So please join me in going to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, there are no shortage of needs and provisions that we ask of you. Having just finished singing that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And because of your commitment to build your kingdom, we bring these requests for daily bread to you in various forms. Lord, I ask that you would bless Serena Walker, Quentin Cools, David Rojas, and others among our young adults who are serving the next couple weeks at Teen Pact. You know the many hundred young people they are responsible for discipling. And we pray you would fill them with words of grace and truth. Father, I also pray for all the folks who are graduating this month or next month. God, I ask that every ceremony and open house would be a testimony to the faithfulness of God and nothing more. And that when they review what has been accomplished, they would simply say, God has laid his hand upon me. That is all. God, I also pray for Floyd and Lee Amison, who are so rarely able to join us here on Sunday morning due to physical disabilities. Would you care for them as our brothers and sisters as they are at home today? We pray you would bless their hearing of this sermon by recording. Lord, I also pray for uh, the new Sovereign Grace Church that was recently adopted in, in Belleville, Illinois, Crosshaven Church. Thank you for adding to our family of churches. We pray you would bless that congregation and their pastor elders. Though we are separated by many miles, Lord, we are now part of the same family. And though we don't know those folks, I don't know those folks, it was a joy to hear yet again, you keep adding to the family. And we pray for your blessing on that church in the form of many conversions through the preaching of your word. Father, we pray for your financial blessing on our church and on Sovereign Grace churches. You are the one who provides. We trust you to do that. And we are grateful that you have promised that when we ask, you answer. We don't manipulate you, Lord, but we want to be faithful to ask. And so we ask for increased financial blessing. And Lord, lastly, I pray today for uh, all the Christians in the Middle East, particularly, particularly Syria and Iraq, um, who we have been hearing so much about in the news recently, uh, being slaughtered. for not taking the name of Allah on their mouth. God, have mercy. Please have mercy. They're struggling. They're wavering. And we 
thank you, Jesus, that even now you are interceding for them before the Father, that their faith might not fail. And we say amen to that prayer. Amen, Lord. We, we ask that their faith would not fail. That they would believe by faith that you are preparing for them an eternal weight of glory beyond all searching out or comparison. Protect them. Keep them bold. Exalt Jesus as greatly to be praised in their sight. That the fear of God would cascade and overwhelm every drop of the fear of man. Bless the preaching of your word now. I pray that the cares of this life desires for other things and the deceitfulness of riches would not choke out this word, but it would take root in good soil and humble hearts and be obeyed and trusted to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Children, you may head out to your classes. We have five and six, seven and eight. Thank you for praying. Go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 9. I wonder what you are longing to see. If I, if I grabbed you over coffee after the meeting this morning, just said point blank, no small talk. Hey, what are you longing to see? What would you tell me? If I was with our students, I would walk around and actually have you tell me. This is a little bit of a big setting uh, to do that. Not all of you have loud voices. But I, I made a short list this week of things that I'm longing to see. I am longing to see the Enchanted Lakes region in the North Cascades Mountains in northern Washington State. I'm longing to see that. Tenth anniversary, here we come. Um, I, am, I am longing to see... What are some other things here? I'm longing to see England, Germany, Switzerland. You're thinking, what do all these have in common? Because I want to sit in church buildings. Thank you, Robert, nodding his head. Where men like Spurgeon and Luther and Calvin preach the same gospel we've been singing about. I want to sit there and be part of that church history. I long to see our uh, two of our next door neighbors, uh, Bert and Karen Taylor. I come to know Jesus. I pray for them. I pray for them. I mentioned at the members meeting uh, two weeks ago. I long. I long to see my three sons get baptized. 
I long to see this, this building filled with men and women who experience for the first time in their life the love of God through the care of Christian community. My friend Will Hagen always reminds me of the, the maximum capacity sign next to the front doors. I know it because Will just never ceases to tell me. <laughs> Here we go again. But it's, it's, it's a heart of faith. Will's praying for 1,535 people to be here one Sunday. I don't know what you're longing to see. But in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' disciples were longing to see something. They were longing to see the kingdom of God. They were longing for the day when there would be no more fear, no more anxiety. Just think about that. No more sorrow. When every form of evil would be completely gone. Just think about all the forms of evil you saw in the news this week. Every form of evil, completely gone. And good prevailing forever. They were longing for that. They were longing for God's kingdom to come and bring those things to pass and for the great day of the Lord prophesied in the Old Testament that would mark the arrival of that kingdom and the arrival of those great good things. From childhood they had heard prophecies about the coming kingdom of God like Isaiah 66. Look at this. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to Jerusalem like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. What a picture that is. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice, and your bones, just think those of you who have osteoporosis, your bones shall flourish like the grass. No more decay. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show indignation against his enemies. So just imagine, okay, the thrill that would have filled the disciples' hearts when Jesus says in Mark 9, verse 1, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. That wasn't the kind of thing they heard and then said, oh, okay, well, can we get roast beef for lunch? No! <laughs> that, that was everything to these men. And quite frankly, church, it's only because we are so comfortable in our relatively easy lives in this country, at this point in our history, that our hearts don't long for the same. 
Our challenge is that we are quite content to have our kingdom instead of longing for His. But when Jesus said that, they heard the weight of it over. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming in power. And you guys are going to watch it go down. That's what they heard. So now let's read the rest of the story. What happens next? Mark 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. They did to him whatever whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Folks, the transfiguration, which some of you have maybe read before, heard before, in Mark 9 is one of those stories that we have to understand in context. And scholars debate this time period when this kingdom of God would come in power that Jesus promises in verse 1. When is that going to happen? All sorts of people have different ideas. But I don't think Mark leaves that up to the best guess of smart guys. I think Mark is far too skillful of a writer. And there's a reason verse 2 is written after verse 1. Look at those two verses. The transfiguration was a moment in time when Jesus gave three of his disciples a glimpse, a preview, of the coming kingdom of God. It was a preview of coming attractions. But but unlike the, the previews that you or I maybe fast forward during family movie night, okay, 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 let's get to the real deal. This preview stopped these guys dead in their tracks. The preview became the feature presentation. And the reason for that is that the preview rocked their understanding of the nature of the kingdom of God. 
it confronted it. It challenged it. And there are at least three things in these verses that I believe Jesus is seeking to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. That that Mark was seeking to teach the, the people he wrote this letter to about the kingdom of God. And that the Holy Spirit, even today, wants to teach us about the kingdom of God. Three things. First, the kingdom of God is fulfilled in Jesus. Thing one. And if you write down anything, you meditate on anything tomorrow, and you remember anything in this sermon, remember this. The kingdom of God is fulfilled in Jesus. There are, there are two very important background details in verse 2. Okay, look back there. Mark says, Six days had passed since Peter first confessed that Jesus was the Christ. That's background detail one. Second background detail... Jesus led three of his disciples up a high mountain. If you're a Jew, you just stop there. Why? Because you know something's about to happen. You know that. Why? Because this isn't the first time that God has met with his people after six days of waiting. Or... It's also not the first time that God has met with his people on a high mountain. Mark chapter 9 is filled with all these allusions, all these references, all these parallels to the book of Exodus, where God first met with a leader of Israel named Moses. So listen to Exodus 24. Listen for these connections. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, He called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Now, the next seven chapters of Exodus contain all these detailed instructions for how Moses was supposed to build the tabernacle, the tent where God was going to take up residence, chill if you would, at risk of being disrespectful, in the midst of God's people. And then God gave Moses commandments or laws. Because if you're going to dwell in the midst of a holy God, you've got to be a holy people. And after being given all these things, lest Israel think that Moses just kind of made that stuff up because he was a little short on food and water, we read this in Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony, Ten Commandments, in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. Because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses. And behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. There are a lot of differences between Mark 9 and those excerpts from Exodus I just read. A lot of differences. A lot of similarities. But there's one difference I want you to focus on. And it's this. 
why was Moses' face shining? It was shining because the glory of God was reflected off of him. Why was Jesus shining? Because the glory of God was coming out of him. Different. Different. Jesus was like Moses, prophet, speaking God's words, but he was infinitely greater than Moses. He was God in human flesh. He was the Christ. And the shimmering brilliance of his clothing proved that he possessed a degree of holiness and moral purity superior to anything in this world. That's what that said. And Mark, Mark couldn't be more clear with this. Jesus wasn't a good person. He wasn't just a holy man. He was God. And in that moment of time, Jesus drew back the veil of his human flesh. And he gave the disciples a glimpse of the infinite, blinding glory of God that was no less a part of his nature. Friend, I wonder when was the last time that you stood in awe of the glory of God. When was the last time that you beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ and were undone? Because here's the truth. Jesus isn't just true. Jesus isn't just right. He isn't even just God. He's infinitely glorious. He's infinitely glorious. And His glory exceeds anything that you will ever feast your eyes upon in this world. Jesus is better than wealth. Jesus is better than fame. Jesus is better than sex. Because the glory of everything in creation pales in comparison to the glory of the One who made all of it. And so we pray with Psalm 27, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Friend, you were made to behold the glory of God. And you were made to behold the glory of God and as you behold the glory of God, to delight from your heart in the glory of God you are beholding. And as you delight from your heart in the glory of God that you are beholding, you were made to live a different kind of life. Those things are connected. And you will not find anything in this world that will satisfy your soul more than beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And if you want to see that, if you want to fix your eyes on His glory, look no further than His work of redemption in fulfilling the kingdom of God.
Remember I said, what's the first thing? The kingdom of God is fulfilled in Christ. There, there's a reason at this point that Elijah and Moses show up. You know, at first when you're reading the story, it can seem like, well, that's kind of random. I mean, I guess they were great guys. Wow, they must be pretty, uh, you know, they, they worked their way up the heavenly, you know, corporate ladder. They, they got to show up again. You know, what's with them? Well, if you're a Jew, even a, a teenage Jew, you, you knew your Old Testament and you knew that the presence of Moses and Elijah made a loud statement about the glory of Jesus because those two guys showing up said something to you about the mission of Jesus. What did it say? Well, there's only one other time in the entire Bible where Moses and Elijah both show up. You know what it is? It's the very end of the Old Testament in Malachi. Chapter 4. Listen to this. The prophet says, the very end of the Old Testament, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What's going on there? Well, Malachi prophesied that before the, the great day of the Lord, the day that God's kingdom that we've all been longing for would come to pass, before that happened, two things would go down. Two things. First, the law represented by Moses would continue to testify that the kingdom of God is good and that we are not good enough to be part of it. Thing one. Thing two, one like the prophet Elijah will lead the people of God in confessing their disobedience to the law and seeking forgiveness from the Lord. The prophet said that those two things would happen before the great day of the Lord when the kingdom of God would come. And in Mark 9, 13, Jesus indicates in no uncertain terms that Elijah, in fact, had already come in the ministry of John the Baptist back in Mark 1, who preached a message of repentance unto the forgiveness of your sins. So all of that means that Moses and Elijah weren't there to increase the wow factor. Okay, their presence signaled to the disciples that the great day of the Lord, the day they had been longing for when God's kingdom would establish, would be established, that that day was finally at hand. Their presence communicated to these three men that Jesus wasn't just God. He was the Messiah. He was the one who would restore all things and make everything sad come untrue. If they had eyes to see, they would have realized at that moment that the one that the law required and the prophets foretold was standing right in front of them. That's what Moses and Elijah meant. But here's what we have to remember. Here's what we have to remember, the bottom line. The kingdom of God is fulfilled in Jesus in the sense 
that the restoration of all things ultimately, friend, comes from His work, not your work. That's what we have to remember. Which means the kingdom of God isn't something we establish. It's something Jesus establishes. This is really practical. Let me explain. Is God pleased when we work to alleviate poverty in our community? Uh, You shouldn't have to think long about that. Yes. You can nod your head. Yes, he's pleased. Okay. Is God pleased when we travel to Africa or Bolivia to build a well or care for orphans on a mission trip? Yes. God is pleased. Is God pleased when you talk about Jesus or share the gospel with your spouse who's not saved or, or your kids or a neighbor? Is God pleased with those things? Yes. Absolutely. But, but whenever we're, we're busy proclaiming the gospel with our words and adorning the gospel with our deeds, here's what we have to remember. Okay? We are not building the kingdom of God. Say that again. You are not building the kingdom of God. That's God's work, not ours. Why? Because you and I do not have the power to make anyone a Christian. We don't. And it's through becoming a Christian, through that divine gift of repentance and faith, that people enter God's kingdom. Jesus inaugurated God's kingdom when He came to earth to save us (laughs) single-handedly. And Jesus will consummate God's kingdom when He comes back again to make all things new. Okay, we serve a God who is fiercely committed to protecting His own glory. And that means that God is fiercely committed to establishing and building His kingdom. He's not looking for ministry partnerships. He's looking for citizens. Which I have to say, if, if you're a parent or you're sharing the gospel with a friend or a family member, this, this is really good news. <laughs> really good news. Friend, you cannot establish the redemptive rule of God in the heart of that person. You can talk till you're blue in the face. You, you, you can't change their heart. You, you cannot bring them into the kingdom of God. And God isn't asking you to try. You know, I, I want to thank those of you who, who prayed for me while I was away on my retreat. Two weeks ago, I shared that at our members meeting. and you know, A number of you were praying. And one of the incredibly comforting things God brought me back to as a pastor is that I don't build the kingdom of God. <laughs> you know, I, I hope this, is, this should be comforting for you even if you're not a pastor because here's the reality. I can plant, you can water. We better be busy doing both. But guess what? Only Jesus makes it grow. Only Jesus makes it grow. So don't burn yourself out under the guise of serving God because you arrogantly assume this this mantle of responsibility for building God's kingdom that He doesn't ask you to carry, and because He's jealous for His glory, He's not going to let you carry for very long. Don't labor under that yoke. Jesus isn't asking you to build His kingdom. You know what He's asking you to do, friend? He's asking you to pray. 
to pray. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Why does he want us to pray for his kingdom instead of thinking that we can build his kingdom? Because prayer keeps us humble and dependent on the king. The moment you stop praying is the moment, Christian, you are greatly at risk of presuming that you, friend, are kicking it strong and building the kingdom of God. You and I have a lot of work to do. But it is work of receiving the kingdom, proclaiming the kingdom, and living as citizens of the king. It is not the work of building and establishing the kingdom. That's Jesus. And he says, no touching. (laughs) Only Jesus makes it grow. Okay, that's the first thing we need to learn about the kingdom of God. First thing we need to learn. Main point for this morning. The kingdom of God is fulfilled in Jesus. And I should mention that, that from our vantage point, reading this story, Peter's attempt to help Jesus establish his kingdom in verse 5, is his pitiful bordering on ludicrous. You know, it's, it's like Peter, real, okay, kingdom of God. All right, Jesus, um, I've got ideas. I'll do, I'll do tents. I'll do tents. Uh, you can have one. Elijah can have one. Moses can do one. Let's just set up this reigning thing right now. You know, we can reign from tents. You know, maybe you look at that and you think, that's stupid. I could have done better than that. But here's the point. Friend, do you realize whenever we take on that responsibility for building the kingdom, we're trying to build tents and stick Jesus in one of them. As if somehow our little construction of the kingdom of God is great enough or strong enough to hold the king. I mean, that's just crazy. Don't do it. Peter's is, Peter's is a, he's a warning for us. And Jesus shut him down pretty quickly. The kingdom of God is fulfilled in Christ, not us. Point two. The kingdom of God is received through the gospel. Maybe you're wondering, okay, if it's fulfilled by Christ, then, then what role do I play in this kingdom of God thing? I've mentioned a few already, but, but here's the big one. If the kingdom is fulfilled in Jesus, how's that going to happen? And how's that relate to us? Well, here's point two. The kingdom of God is received through the gospel. Look back at verse four. This is really key. Verse four. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Now, if you're familiar with Mark, you know that this is the second time that a voice from the cloud has come on the scene and said something about Jesus. Okay, the first time was back in Mark 1, when Jesus was baptized, and the Father said what? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well He authenticated Jesus' identity as the Son of God. But something changes here in Mark 9. This is my beloved Son, same so far. But then the Father turns His attention from the identity of the Son to the mission of the Son and our response to His mission. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Therefore, implication, hello people, listen to Him. Listen to Him. The identity of Jesus demands your attention. That's the point. 
And the focus shifts from his identity to our response to his mission. Well, what, what's Jesus' mission? Mark 8.31. What are we responding to? And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus came to proclaim a word of salvation to you. The good news that God Himself would purchase our forgiveness by dying on the cross in your place for your sins. That if you will turn from sin and deny yourself and demonstrate faith in the salvation Jesus freely offers by following Him in every area of life, then you, friend, will be reconciled right now to God your Father and saved on the day of judgment. That's the Gospel. And the authority of Jesus' ministry was bound up in the authority of His Word. Notice what the Father said. This is my beloved Son. Sit next to Him. Walk behind Him. Sing about Him. No. Listen. Listen. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Which means that becoming a Christian isn't about getting your life act together. It isn't about going to church. It isn't about minding your P's and Q's when you're around pastors like me. It's not. Becoming a Christian is about responding to the word of the gospel. Because becoming a Christian doesn't start with your behavior. It flows from your heart. The the listening that we must give to Christ and to the word of the gospel isn't listening where the sound waves of the preacher's words enter and contact your ear canal. Okay, let's grab coffee. Now, now the listening in view here is attention. It's listening unto receiving. The kingdom of God is received through the word of the gospel. And becoming a Christian is about hearing the word of the gospel and trusting the word of the gospel, which is why the kingdom is received through the word of the gospel. So let me make a few applications here. Okay, first, first, if you're exploring Christianity, maybe you're helping somebody else explore Christianity, don't allow secondary issues to distract you from giving your full attention to the words of Jesus. Okay, don't do it. There's a time to talk about Christian hypocrisy. Happy to talk with you about that. There's a time to talk about the the mechanics of a six-day creation. We can talk about that. And there's a time to, to think about the physics of Jonah and a whale. We can talk about that. Don't let those things become smoke screens that you throw up all around you to keep from dealing with the core message of Christianity, which is what? You are a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus Christ, friend, is that Savior. We can deal with that stuff. But you've got to deal with the gospel. Because God said to you, listen to Jesus. 
Submit your will to His. And you'll find that if you wrestle with the gospel first, if you genuinely listen to Jesus, the rest of the Bible and a lot of your questions, they have this strange way of just working themselves out. A second, because the kingdom of God is received through the gospel, if you're a Christian and you've been commissioned by your Savior to proclaim the gospel, then here's what you need to remember. You're not trying to sell someone on your version of religious truth. Have you felt that? There was a time I was sitting in a plane recently talking to someone about the gospel, and, and I felt like I'm the world's worst salesman. I'm just horrible. Like, if, if their salvation is up to Matthew Williams sounding persuasive, like, you know, go work in a chem lab. This, is, this isn't going to happen. But friend, the gospel is true whether or not it feels true to you or feels true to the person you're talking to. It's true. It's true. And the winsomeness or persuasiveness of your words neither adds to nor takes away from the power of God's words. That's good news. You don't have to convince people to listen to you because you're such a great, amazing, God-fearing, pop-a-totem-pole, pillar-example Christian. All you have to do is say, listen to him. Listen to him. He's speaking. He's he's spoken. Just listen to him. Get out of the way. Watch God do it. He is so good at doing it. Third, because the kingdom is received through the gospel as a church, let's not lose sight of the fact that our faith is fundamentally word-centered. The glory of God is bound up, contained in the word of Christ. Which is why meditating on scripture between this Sunday and the next time you listen to somebody behind this pulpit is so important. And why why preaching is the most important thing we do on Sunday. Because our faith is fundamentally word-centered. Now some of you are thinking, I love to worship. I love to sing. Guess what? I'm a worship leader. I'll be doing it next week. I can't wait to sing with you. But here's the truth. Worship, spirit, is not pitted against truth. As if we need this balance. And, you know, oh boy, we don't want to tip. uh, Too much preaching. Uh, More singing. You know, spirit and truth. No, nonsense. What did Jesus say in John 14 that the spirit was here to do? To remind us what? Of all that he commanded us. Bring to our remembrance all that Jesus said. The the whole mission of the Spirit of God is to increase our trust and our confidence in the Word of God. The Word of Christ. Don't, Don't make the mistake of balancing Spirit and truth. You'll know the Spirit through His work in your heart, helping you trust We don't establish God's kingdom and we receive it through faith in the word of the gospel. Okay, number three. Number three. The kingdom of God is secured through suffering. It's secured through suffering. I want you to think about this with me. Imagine what it must have 
have been like to be one of those three disciples? Just put yourself in their shoes. They were terrified. Terrified. And the one who was that guy, there's always one of them in a group, who when he gets nervous just, you know, he got shut down really quickly. And notice that it wasn't as though Jesus had to say, hey, You realize what happened? The glory of God, that cloud, it just moved in. And Peter shut up. It's like, Job, I put my hand over my mouth. And they had good reason to be terrified. Because in the Old Testament, when the cloud, the, the physical manifestation of the presence of God, moved in, parked its car, One of three things always happened. One of three things. Either the people in the room, on the scene, fell to their face in worship of the Holy One. Or, they fell down dead because they had approached the Holy One in a way that was unlawful. Or, they were consumed by a sudden awareness of how unworthy they were to even be close to him. These guys knew that. They knew that. And so when the cloud of God's manifest presence showed up, they were scared and they had good reason to be terrified. And then suddenly, it's all over. Just think about this. It's all over. And it's just Jesus standing. You know, arms scorched by the sun, their hair matted with dust, fingernails chipped, hands calloused from years of carpentry. It's just Jesus. What happens? Voice is quiet, the cloud is gone. Elijah and Moses left. It's just Jesus. Only it wasn't just Jesus. It was Emmanuel. It was God with us. So though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Think of it this way. God waited for his people on Mount Sinai. And when Moses left, he stayed. This time, God walked down with us. Emmanuel. And to avoid being made king by force, Jesus told him to be quiet. Until the resurrection, when everybody would glimpse his power. And they're quiet, but then they ask Jesus a question. I want you to look at verse 11 as we conclude. Verse 11, they ask him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? When I was reading that this week, I thought, say what? 
what are you, rewind, not tracking. Why would they ask that? Well, remember that Jesus had just finished telling them that he was about to suffer and die. And that following him was going to mean that all his disciples would have to join him in what? Denying themselves, taking up their cross, and dying. I mean, if that's not a great recipe for your best life now, I don't know what is. That's not exactly positive team building. We've got to remember this context here. And that understanding of the kingdom of God, this denying and dying, that that didn't jive with the common Jewish understanding of the kingdom of God. The day the Lord when the Messiah would come and make everything sad come untrue. If he's going to make everything sad come untrue, you know, last time I checked, suffering and dying in crosses, no. Wrong category. Not not a day of suffering. They struggled. It's it's, It's why... Jesus ended up rebuking Peter. He just couldn't get it. But then, they see Elijah. Ooh. Guess what that means? The day of the Lord is here. All that suffering and dying and cross stuff. Uh, Jesus, that was really funny. But, but the day of the Lord's here. And because the day of the Lord is here... It is time to reign and make tents and triumph with you. They, were, they had an aversion to suffering and they thought the presence of Elijah meant that they could start reigning over all things right now. And so the, this verse 11 is kind of an indirect question that Jesus calls their bluff and says, Listen, guys, let's talk about glory and suffering. Let's talk about this relationship between the kingdom of God and suffering. Verse 12, he says, And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. What, what the disciples didn't get, though, is that the kingdom of God that John announced and Jesus fulfilled would be inaugurated through suffering and established in weakness. And that glimpse of Jesus' resurrection power in the transfiguration was meant to strengthen the faith of His disciples. That though for now they would walk a path of suffering and weakness and humiliation, just like the Savior that glory was waiting for. It was meant to strengthen their faith. To assure them that that victory was guaranteed. But they were all too aware, and would soon learn, that the road home would be long. The pilgrimage would be hard. But not because Jesus lacked for power. Realize that. How often do we experience suffering and hardship in the course of following Christ? And we think, God, where are you in your power? What was Jesus doing? Transfigured. Guys, my power hasn't gone anywhere. It's still here. In my suffering, guess what? In yours too. Yours too. I hope you realize that the reason ultimately that Jesus 
chose to establish his kingdom through weakness and suffering is because he wanted to fulfill the eternal covenant between Father, Son, and Spirit to bring their kingdom to pass in such a way that sinners and rebels and prostitutes and legalists and idolaters could be welcomed at the table as redeemed sons and daughters of the King. You want to get that done? Somebody's going to have to die for their sin. Suffering and humiliation on the road to glory. And when Christ died and rose from the grave, His kingdom came in power. Death was defeated, sin vanquished, Satan conquered, but we're still waiting for Him to come back. We're waiting for Him to come back. And the wait gets a little easier, I believe, when we can realize that the kingdom of God is secured through suffering. It gets easier first because it affects our expectations. It should affect your expectations. Triumph through defeat and glory through suffering are the way of the gospel. And they have been the way of every faithful Christian since then. So friend, you should expect to suffer. You should expect to suffer. Don't don't presume your suffering is a direct result of your sin. It might be, but it certainly wasn't for Christ. Hey, you're, you're being made perfect through suffering. And because Jesus suffered, He is now able to help you in your suffering. So expect suffering. Don't be alarmed or surprised by your suffering. And look to Jesus. Cry out to Him as the one who gets suffering and is able to help you in your suffering. Second, realize that though there are a thousand moments, a thousand moments, when it feels like suffering and sorrow are going to win and you are drowning and all it's going to take is one more little wave and you are done. Friend, remember this. Glory is waiting for you. It's waiting for you. And and in fact, the loving arms of a covenant-keeping God have got you on the shirt collar And they're steadily bringing you home. Glory's waiting. The kingdom is secured through suffering. And there's glory on the backside of that. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I challenge you to trust that the kingdom of God is fulfilled in Christ. It's received through the word of the gospel. And it's secured. That that glory is secured through suffering. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are grateful for you instructing us about the nature of your kingdom. And Father, I pray right now that you would fix our eyes on Jesus. And that our delight 
and our trust and our confidence in you as the reigning Lord and King would increase. Father, I pray you would forgive us wherever we have sought to be kingdom builders at home or in the church or in our community. Teach us to receive your kingdom, to pray for your kingdom, to proclaim your kingdom, to trust you to build it. And Lord, I thank you that when your kingdom comes to pass in full, when it's consummated, that all the glory is going to go to you. And so I pray with my brothers and sisters right now, Lord, as you taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Would your kingdom come? You know our sorrow. You know our suffering. You are the answer. Bring your kingdom to pass. And my heart and this church and this world you have made Jesus' name.